Today we continue our study in the book of Acts. We are very early in the account of the formation of the Christian church. In fact, we're just now in the second chapter. And as we move along, I I feel like I need to keep telling you our goal. And I, I wanted to keep telling you our goal. Understand our goal is that as we see God powerfully move in the formation of the church, that he would move powerfully in our church. And that, that is my prayer, that in the directing of God's word and the leading of God's word in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that God would work in this, his church. And, and, and my prayer is this would not just be a bunch of information. Yes, we're going to cross a lot of information, but that we would be transformed as a church. We would be energized as a church and that God would move in a mighty, mighty way in his church. That is our goal. Today as we start and as we think about the church, as we study the church, I ask the question today, what is the focus of the church? What is the focus of the church? Way back a whole whole bunch of years ago, I had a football coach and he said, you get what you focus on. He used to talk about that in practice. I believe that. You get what you focus on. So again, our question today as we start our study What is the focus of the church? What is the centerpiece of the church? If you were to pull away all the layers, what would be dead center in the church? Now today, as you look around, you're going to find a whole bunch of different answers to this question. And you would find some in some churches that would say, you know what, the center of the church is community involvement. And that's, that's how we make our presence known. That's how we make the love of Christ known. And they would say the focus of the church is community involvement. Or, or somebody else might say it is good works or, 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 or things that would, that would add to our, our name, feeding the poor and doing things such like that. Others might say, you know what, the focus of the church is to build disciples. Discipleship is the center of the church. And if if we're doing anything, we ought to be a discipleship-driven church. And that would be the focus of the church. Others would say, well, surely it is reaching the lost. That is why we're here. And that's why Christ has left us here. And those that perish outside of the good news of the gospel uh, will perish surely for eternity. And, And the focus of the church is reaching the lost. And really, As you start that discussion, you could go on and on and hear endless answers. I want to be very honest with you today. Today in our generation, there is a big push, and I believe it it, it has caught hold, that says today, and, and people come and they defend it, that we are the focus of the church. And the the church exists to serve us. And the the church is about us. And everything tilts toward us. And everything revolves around us. And and the church is about what we like and what we need and what we feel. And you know what? I don't feel valued here. I don't feel like I have a thing here. And, And it really revolves around our feelings. And there is this push that we are the focus of the church. Look around, people join a church. And they say, well, you know what, they've got things for my kids or things that I like. And people are upset in the church and they say, you know what, I've got an issue with this thing. And the, and the, the focus has really become ourselves in the church. Well, today I tell you what seems very plain and yet what seems to be lost. 
Today I tell you what we need to regain and what we must be very sure of, and that is this. Listen very carefully. Jesus is the focus of the church. Jesus is the center of the church. Friends, it seems crazy to have to say that, but be very sure in the church, we are about Jesus. In the church, we preach and we teach Jesus. We exalt and we uplift Jesus. We are concerned about Jesus. And in the church today, a Christian church, Jesus is the message and Jesus is the attraction and Jesus is the centerpiece and anything else is a distortion. Anything else is a perversion. It is all about Jesus. I was watching a video the other day. It was an advertisement for this upcoming church, this new church. It's very popular there in the city it exists in. And it's all the rage. Everyone is flocking there. And there, there's this video. And on the video, they have this real, this cute preacher. Um, that's your giveaway right there if you have a cute preacher. And there's this big crowd. And there's the scenes of the city. And they're, they're feeding the poor and they're picking up trash and they're all smiling and they have their church logo on and they're out picking up trash. And this, this guy comes and in the video he says, at such and such church, he names his church, we are all about this city. He named the city. And I, I sat there and watched the video for just a second and I thought, you know what? The mayor, he ought to be all about that city. The city council, they ought to be all about that city. The, the sports team that, that gets their check there, they ought to be all about that city. The Channel 6 News, if you turn it on, it ought to be all about that city. The proud residents that love it, they ought to be all about that city. But that church ought to be about Jesus because that's what that city needs. Well, today we're going to continue... And we're looking at the very first sermon preached in the Christian church. Now, that's a, that's a big deal right there. But this is the very first sermon preached in the Christian church. We started last week, and we made it through exactly one verse. And from this sermon that we're going to look at today, we're going to resume looking at, we're going to see the centerpiece of the church. The message today is entitled, This Jesus. This Jesus. We're in Acts chapter 2 today, verses 14 through 36. Quite a long section of verses. This Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 36. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. God's word says this. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what is spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall, come to, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. 
even on my bond slaves, both men and women. I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of the Father, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that the God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and I'm thankful for a Savior. I'm thankful for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, I'm thankful for a hope that outlasts this life, that outlasts a cemetery or a casket. Lord, I'm thankful for restoration with the Holy God, peace that the world can't give. I'm thankful for my Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray as we continue to study the book of Acts, Lord, I pray that you would empower your church, that you would instruct your church. And Lord, I pray that you would be glorified, known, exalted through your church. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us today. Lord, we ask that you would remove any hindrance to our hearing. And Lord, I pray if there's someone in this room that does not know Jesus Christ, today as their Lord and Savior, this Jesus Lord, I pray that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, we give all of this to you. We lay it at your feet as an act of worship. We submit it to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. 
Today as we look at Peter's sermon, and as we see the central place that Jesus holds, be very sure and understand this morning that it's not just any Jesus. You see, that is, that is a misperception of our day. Really, that is a false teaching of our day, that as long as you profess Jesus, and it could be any Jesus, that you're fine. And if you listen today, that's the, that's the message of our world. You know what? That is a smart thing to say. Who am I to judge you? Who am I to judge your truth? Maybe that's not my truth, but maybe that's your truth. And it is a, a kindness to say, you know what? Any Jesus will do. It is a popular thing to say, any Jesus will do. Well, understand, we have to have our eyes open. The Mormons claim Jesus. It's just not our Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they claim Jesus. They, they'll talk about Jesus, but it's just not our Jesus. The Muslims, they, they claim to love Jesus. It's just not our Jesus. But Maybe the most dangerous thing these days one of the, the slickest tricks of Satan is that he has crept into the church today and he has found us biblically illiterate. He has found us asleep at the wheel today. He has found us consumed with the culture today and he has distorted right in our very own churches the truth of Jesus. Friends, be very sure. Our hope is in Jesus but only the true Jesus. There's forgiveness and peace in Jesus, but only in the true Jesus. There's salvation by faith in Jesus, but it has to be the right Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the very first sermon preached in the Christian church, the point of the message is clearly identifying Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the very first message, the foundational message preached to the Christian church is clarifying and making very distinct the identity of the true Jesus. Listen, Jesus is the focus of the church. He's the centerpiece of the church, but it can't just be any Jesus. It has to be the true Jesus. Now, we've got a lot to climb over today. If we're going to get this done, this book of Acts, in less than eight years, we're going to have to move pretty quickly. Let's go to our verses. Starting in verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. Last week we saw the role of the preacher. We saw that Peter is called by Christ. He is now empowered by the Holy Spirit of God and he stands up with authority and he stands up with confidence and he calls these people to listen to him. He says, give heed to my words. It literally translates, give a great weight to my words. Heed my words. Now, Last week, if you remember, we saw one of the greatest blessings that God gives to his church is the truth that he still calls and equips 
and sends preachers to declare his word. And that is his plan. And honestly, that is his goodness, his grace to the church. He still calls and equips and sends preachers to speak the word of God to his church. In verse 14, Peter takes his stand and he calls these to listen to him, to give heed to him. Verse 15. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. Now remember in the account, when the Holy Spirit came, these people started speaking in languages they did not know. It literally translates languages. They're speaking in languages they did not know, but these Jews who had been dispersed to all the corners of the earth but had now come back to Jerusalem, they could understand what they were saying in their own language. Now, that was, a, that was a great miracle. That was an awesome miracle. These folks start speaking, and it's a language they had no knowledge of. They didn't know. But these Jews that had reassembled there in Jerusalem could hear the message in their own language. Well, remember some of those that were hearing that and seeing that said, they are full of sweet wine. There, there are no miracles here. There's no miracle to see. They are, they are drunk, and that's what they say. Literally, they're drunk. They're full of wine. Well, Peter, preaching the first sermon in the Christian church, leads off with the first joke in a Christian sermon, and that's now a Baptist prerequisite. Here's what he says. They are not drunk, as you suppose, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. It's only this third hour. No good Jewish person will be drunk until at least after lunch. Could insert Baptist there. They're not drunk as you suppose. It's too early in the morning. It's, surely they would wait to a later hour. I wonder if the people got it or if they just looked at him when he said that. Verse 15, they're not drunk. That's not what's going on. Verse 16, but this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, Peter says, he's going to explain what's going on here. Peter says, Joel foretold of this. Now, notice it doesn't say this is like what Joel said or this is similar to what Joel said. Notice there in verse 16, it says, this is what Joel said. This is what Joel was speaking about. Joel, hundreds of years earlier, when he was speaking, he was speaking about this event. Verse 17. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Now, last days, that has some debate to it. Last days just means the time after Christ had come, really the time after Christ's resurrection. We are living in those last days. Well, he says in the last days, these things would happen. Verse 18, even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Verse 19, and I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Verse 20, the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Verse 21. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, 
understand some of these events, as he is reporting, had happened. In fact, this event is one of these things that has happened. How do we know that? Because Peter says this is what Joel was talking about. But some of these events are still to come. They're going to happen in these last days, and they're still to come. These are the events of the second coming of Jesus. And so there's some things that have happened, and Peter says these things are part of those, and there's some things that have not happened that are yet still to come. Now I want to look for just a second, and I'm not sure there's some very important verses in this message, but I'm not sure this isn't a turning point verse, that this isn't a, a key verse for understanding what's going to happen in the rest of the message. I want, I want to look again very closely at verse 21. Joel said... The word of God, the promise of God, is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is still true. So see, this is, this is the fulfillment that happens in Christ. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, this is fulfilled in Jesus. This is why Peter has to make the case for the true Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It says, And you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The Savior promised in Joel is delivered in Jesus. Understand that. That is what Peter is saying. The Savior that if you call upon his name, you're delivered. The Savior that is promised in Joel is delivered in Jesus. In a few chapters in Acts chapter 4, it's going to tell us there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus. And so be very clear today, why is Jesus the center of the church? Why is Jesus the focus of the church? Why are we to be radically consumed with Jesus today? Listen to me, it is because Jesus saves and Jesus alone. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. I wasn't supposed to sing in church anymore. Do you see why he has to clarify this Jesus? Do you see why he has to pinpoint this Jesus? Because the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel's that everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved and that Lord that we call upon, his name is Jesus. So Peter has to clearly, carefully identify this Jesus. Don't you know Satan hates that? Woo, there, there is the, the magnificent grace of God. Satan hates that. He hates it. And the grace of God is known in the truth of Jesus. He hates that. So he shows up and he says, I will twist the truth of Jesus. Jesus saves. And so he has to be specific in that Jesus. I was tempted to sing that again. Let's go to verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Again, he speaks with authority. Listen to these words. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, 
a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know. Which Jesus? Jesus the Nazarene. That Jesus. Which Jesus? The one that performed the many miracles that you saw, that Jesus. The one that that did the wondrous things, the signs that you're witness to, that Jesus. They saw it, they heard all about it. My lands, that's why they killed him. It is that Jesus. You saw, you know him. It is that Jesus. Verse 23. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Now first see this in verse 23. God knew always and God was in control always. This was his plan for the redemption of mankind. Now, there's about four sermons I could preach right there, but God wasn't caught off guard. They didn't drag Jesus away and he had to do something about it. This was always the plan for the redemption of mankind. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Go back to our subject. So what Jesus? The one that died. That Jesus. Which Jesus? The one that was crucified. That Jesus. The one that the Roman soldiers, they nailed him to the cross, that Jesus. Let me point out here, that is a pretty specific Jesus. Oh, which Jesus? The Nazarene. Which Jesus? The one that healed all those folks that did those many miracles that you saw, that Jesus. Which Jesus? The one they nailed to the Roman cross, the one that died. Listen, they're still in Jerusalem. They know what they're talking about. He's talking about, there's no doubt. Which Jesus? That Jesus. Verse 24. Verse 23 ends and says, and put him to death. And put him to death. Verse 24. But God raised him up again, putting an end, oh my lands, listen to this, to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Which Jesus? The one that's risen from the dead. Which Jesus? The one that lives again. He appeared to the 12 and then also to 500 at one time. Which Jesus? Well, if you're still wondering, go outside and look at his grave. It's just over that hill. You'll find that it's empty. Which Jesus? The risen living Jesus. I like good sermons. Let me tell you what Peter just nailed in his very first sermon in the Christian church. It is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. The power of God that ends the agony of death, the result of sin, 
the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, the power of God that ends the pain of death, the agony of death, the result of sin, the cure for sin, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Get this today. Hear me very carefully today. If your Jesus is not the Son of God, if he's not God himself, if your Jesus didn't live without sin, not one sin did he ever commit. If your Jesus did not die, actually physically die as the Lamb of God, the blood sacrifice for sin. If your Jesus is not actually physically raised from the dead, the only Savior from sin, listen to me, friend, then you don't know Jesus and you're lost. The Mormon Jesus won't save you. Oh, they're sure good conservative people. We like them. Their Jesus won't save you. The prosperity Jesus, he won't save you, not for sin. The social justice Jesus, the good work Jesus, he won't save you. The moral teacher Jesus, Gandhi's Jesus, he won't save you. The modalistic, non-Trinitarian Jesus that the, the oneness Pentecostals, folks like T.D. Jakes, that Jesus, he won't save you. Oh, but I want to tell you the good news is this Jesus will. My Jesus will. The Jews didn't want to believe their eyes. And so Peter goes to the word of God. They knew. Which one? The one crucified? The one resurrected? They knew. They didn't want to believe their eyes. And so Peter goes to the word of God to further illuminate which Jesus. Verses 25 through 28, I'll read them together. For David says of him, Jesus, talking about the Messiah. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at the right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exulted, Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. Verse 27, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. In verses 25 through 28, Peter quotes David in Psalm 16. That is about a 1,000 years before Christ. And so Peter now, preaching this first sermon, quotes Psalm 16, quotes David, about a 1,000 years before Jesus. Now he explains it in verses 29 through 31. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. It's not talking about David. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the, spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. David's... Peter says here in his message, David said the Messiah will be resurrected. Psalm 16, you want to know who the Messiah is? 
Well, David said the Messiah will be resurrected. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. David said the Messiah would be resurrected. Peter says Jesus is resurrected. Now I want you to put the logic of that together. David said the Christ, the Messiah, would be resurrected. Peter now says, you all know, Jesus is resurrected. Therefore, Jesus is the Messiah. Let me say this and you can write it down. All of Scripture, all of it, from Genesis to Revelation, is testifying to the truth of Jesus. Do you realize that? I think it was some time before I realized that. You know what? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, the entirety of Scripture is testifying to the truth of Jesus. Listen to this. The story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. The message of the Bible is salvation in Jesus. And so the hero of the Bible is the savior of that salvation. His name is Jesus. Once again, we see it's all about Jesus. You see why we preach the Bible in church? Not self-help, not popular culture nonsense. We preach the Bible because the Bible testifies to Jesus. I'm gonna say that again. It took me a while to think of that yesterday. The story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. And the message of the Bible is salvation in Jesus. So the hero of the Bible is the savior of that salvation. His name is Jesus. Sermon goes on, verse 33. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Verse 34. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now Peter is quoting David from Psalm 110. Now earlier he's, David said the, the Messiah will be resurrected. Peter says, Jesus is resurrected, he's the Messiah. Well, now he's quoting Psalm 110, and David now says, the Messiah will ascend to heaven. That's what he says. The Messiah, you want to know who he is? He is the one that will ascend to heaven. Well, Peter now says, you know what? David didn't ascend to heaven. Jesus ascended to heaven. We saw that. And so again, he is saying, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. To these Jews, you didn't want to believe your eyes, and so maybe you'll believe the word of God. All right, we made it to the last verse, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I want to read that again. I want to let, you, let it sink in. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 36, here's the point to the entire sermon. Therefore, 
The point to all of this, therefore, let all the house of Israel, all of the house of Israel, know for certain. The word certain means securely. It means without a doubt. Let them know without a doubt. They don't have to go away. They don't have to say, well, it seems close. Well, it's 90%. Well, the facts lean in in its favor. Let them know for certain. Let them have no doubt that God has made him both Lord. Lord translates supreme authority, authority over all, possessing all power, possessing all rights. That God has made him Lord, Lord over all, possessing all the power, and Christ. Christ translates Messiah. It translates anointed one, which means marked one. It is talking about the promised one of God. It is the Savior. It is the Deliverer marked by God and sent by God. The Messiah, the Christ, the promised Savior of God. And then it says God has made him, which one? This Jesus. I want you to see today and I want you to be very sure of it. This entire sermon that Peter preached was carefully identifying Jesus. It was about this Jesus. You see, it is in this Jesus and this Jesus alone that we have any hope. Do you see how hopeless our world is today? Do you see the events of the last few weeks? Oh, if we're ever gonna have hope, we'll not find it anywhere if we miss this Jesus. Do you know that there's forgiveness for your sin, the sorry sin that you carry, the guilt of that sin, the shame of that sin? Oh, that there would be a a Savior that would forgive us. There is forgiveness, but it's only in this Jesus, not in all Jesuses. It's only in this Jesus. Oh, that we'd be restored with a holy God, a God that we spurned, a God that we would rebel against, that we would be restored with him. Oh, there's only restoration in this Jesus. Oh, that we would have peace today. Peace not as the world gives. Peace the world can't understand. Listen, friend, there is peace, but not in any Jesus. It's only in this Jesus. Only one Jesus humbled himself. Only one Jesus went to the cross. Only one Jesus carried your sin. Only one sin. Jesus lives today. We're saved in this Jesus. This Jesus saved. This Jesus saves. Thank you, God, for this Jesus. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Let's pray. Hear me, Father, we come. And in turmoil, in the absence of peace, the shadow of death, carrying our sin as rebels. We need this Jesus. We grab onto this Jesus. We find hope in this Jesus. Lord God, we're thankful for this Jesus. Thankful for this Jesus. The one that loved me. The one that's love was unconditional. The one that went to the cross to save me. The one that walked out of the grave defeating death. 
victorious. Lord, I'm thankful for this Jesus. I praise you for this Jesus. I bend my knee and I proclaim and I confess this Jesus. Lord, I pray for us as a church. We would understand the focus of our church is this Jesus. The message of our church, this Jesus. The duty of this church to carry this Jesus. The hope of this world, this Jesus. Lord, help us to be that kind of church. Help us to know this Jesus. To know him as the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the righteous judge, the perfect lamb, the coming king. Help us to know this Jesus, Lord. Lord, I pray for some in this room that, that are sitting here today and they've maybe heard versions of this. Maybe they've never understood it, but, but they're lost because they don't know. They haven't claimed this Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd remove any barrier today and today they would, they would place their hope, their faith, and their trust in my Jesus, this Jesus. Lord, work in their hearts. Lord, we come and, and then our natural response on all that. Lord, move, work, teach us, lead us. Some of us save us. But our natural response is to say we exalt and we thank and we praise Jesus. We worship you. We honor you. We give everything to you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.